Return, O virgin daughter of Israel, to these your highways by which you went. Welcome to Reunion Roadmap, a place to discover the people and communities along the highway of restoration for Israel's House of Joseph. Reunion Roadmap is a B'nai Yosef, North America production. Be our guest for the next hour as we meet the people of the emerging House of Joseph here in North America. Welcome to another production of Reunion Roadmap. I'm Stefania Pappas, Communications Director for Beneos of North America, and with me is Al McCarn, Executive Director. We, we're going to find our listeners being drawn in to this interview that's coming up with David Altman from Palatka, Florida, who is our Deputy Executive Director, who has many hats. Isn't that correct? Yes, he does. In fact, we will get to that over the course of these next two shows. Once again, we're doing a two-part interview. David is not only the deputy executive director for Bina, he is the executive director of Key of David Publishing and the administrator of the Alliance of Redeemed Israel and Messianic Israel Alliance. And on top of that, he's a computer technician working for his father, who is an attorney there in North Florida. Yes. With this interview, I think folks will actually be able to relate to David in many different ways. Yeah, David's story of how he came into Torah may be a little bit different from what we have heard before. You'll find David saying there's no aha moment or one clear thing that happened that brought him into a Torah understanding. You'll hear in David's story that it was a process that took place over a number of years. So without further ado, why don't we go on down to Florida and hear David's story? Well, here we are at the interview segment of this edition of Reunion Roadmap. This is Al McCarn, Executive Director of B'nai Yosef North America. Our guest today is another one of our administrative directors, David Altman, the Deputy Executive Director for B'nai Yosef North America. David, welcome to the Reunion Roadmap. Thank you for having me. We would like to know your story, as in, how did you find Yeshua? How did you find the Torah? And what else do we need to know about you? Well, that's a that's kind of a long story. I mean, uh, I didn't have like a ABC route to it. I mean, I was raised in a, in a Baptist church. My father is uh, secular Jewish, and my mom is her church organist and has been since she was 16 years old. And so uh, my family had a rule. You go to church with mom until you're 13, and then you make up your, your own decisions. And so I... I must say that, you know, I, I always kind of knew who Jesus was or, you know, Yeshua, that I knew him then as, as by that name. And, you know, I, I just kind of fell away from the faith at, at 13 because, first of all, the option was available to me, but second, because I saw a lot of hypocrisy, not so much necessarily just the standard stuff of things that didn't seem to rhyme, but of uh, things that didn't seem to go together. But also the the nature of people particularly towards jewish people and people that weren't necessarily christians the way that they were seen and so i saw a lot of negative thoughts and negative comments behind my mother's back towards my father who was a very very good man and it drove me out out of the church and ultimately i didn't really have that long of a hiatus i was uh came to really, truly know and understand Yeshua 
uh, when I was 17, had a bit of a trial by fire, got very sick in high school, dropped out of high school, and then uh, ultimately got dragged to church by a buddy of mine. And, you know, over the next, you know, six months to a year, I just really started to understand what God's purpose was. I started to understand who my Savior was and, and His value in my life. It's amazing how, you know, until you struggle, how that's not completely clear. I struggled. I found Yeshua, and uh, I uh, pursued Him. And my, I went back to school at Canal Baptist uh, Academy and, and graduated from there. And uh, then the, the road it became a little bit convoluted because I didn't fit anywhere. I was always an outsider looking in. And it, it's amazing because in the Jewish faith, I'm a non-Jew because I am, I have a, a Jewish father, but my mother's not Jewish and I'm not even considered Jewish at all. And yet to almost the whole of the Christian community, I'm the Jew. <laughs> and so I, I've, I've always had this, uh, this kind of, outcast mentality, never really quite fitting in. And so, you know, I'd been to uh, countless different churches. If somebody said, hey, you want to go to church? I'd be like, sure, yeah. You know, it was, uh, went to FCA meetings in, in college, you know, Florida Christian athletes, and uh, was around spirituality. I was around church, but I wasn't necessarily involved. And uh, I was an avid uh, pool player. My brother was a, a pool player, and that's billiards. And I was involved in handicap leagues and it's just a, you know, like a community type event. And the guy at one of my, uh, my leagues told me about this Baptist pastor that got kicked out of his church and he was teaching all this Hebrew stuff and I should come. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that sounds interesting to me. It's another, a fellow outcast. I'm I'd probably be interested in whatever he has to say. Who knows? Might be crazy. But I, I went to his, uh, church he was at a uh, he was at a uh, a hotel out holding service in one of their uh rooms uh their meeting rooms and uh it was i think his second week of service and he started was talking about torah he was talking about you know the the law hasn't really been done away with and of uh, hey you know we're really all part of uh the lost tribes of Israel were all really probably part of Israel at some level. And he was teaching a lot of the stuff that's in uh, Bacha Wooten's books and a lot of the stuff from the Hebrew Roots uh, movement. And it resonated with me. And I hit the ground running and never really looked back and have grown in my understanding pretty much every step of the way. And it's just because I've been surrounded every, every time I turn around, there's another wonderful resource with which to learn from, you know, people that have been through the movement, people that have been through the ringer, and they have, most of the people that I've met have just encouraged and, and tried to help me grow spiritually. And that's kind of how my journey's gone. So if I understand this right, this transition happened, uh, dur it was during your college days in your early 20s? No, no. Uh, I, I went all the way through college, uh, didn't really have a place. This was a number of years later. Uh, I think it was, I guess it would have been, I think it's 2011. So this would be seven years from me. And so I finished college in 2006. And so it was about five years later that somebody just off the cuff said, you know, hey, this guy that uh, 
the this Baptist pastor got kicked out of his church. You, he's teaching all this Hebrew stuff. You're Jewish. You'd probably be into that. You should come. <laughs> so that's how it happened. Now, you and I have known each other for uh, going on three years now, and I know that you are quite a studious person. If you have a question, you'll do the research. Mm-hmm. So obviously this Hebrew stuff struck a chord with you. Yes. What what kind of research did you do? What did you look into to um, confirm what you had heard and expand your understanding? Well, you know, I, being a studious person, I'd read uh, a lot of commentaries. I've read a lot of, of apologetics. I'd, I'd read through the Bible. I made a, a, a habit to every other year try to read through the Bible front to back. And I didn't really, you know, at some point you stop getting that much out of it when you just are going through the motions. And when I went to this congregation and started hearing the perspective that they had, all of a sudden light bulbs started going off in places that had never gone. And ultimately what, what made the difference is, first of all, things that hadn't made sense, things that were just God's mysterious, started to make perfect sense. Prophecy started to make more sense. All of the studying that I, I did, now I was studying and I was finding answers instead of just coming up with more questions. And it was honestly quite fulfilling. I mean, I, I've never been so so encouraged in my life to pursue a path than when I started to look at it from the real Hebraic perspective and try and try and discover how my heritage in particular fit with Yeshua and realize that that's what he was pointing us to all along. And uh, it just clicked in a way that was like, you know, those, those puzzle pieces going together. And it's just a relief when you're searching and searching for the right puzzle pieces and you can't find it and you're frustrated. And then they click together perfectly and you see an image start to form and it's just, it's just gratifying. (laughs) Can you point to any one particular thing that turned the light on for you? Uh, one particular thing, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. I, I I don't think I can. I just remember every single time that I, I sat in on a service, every time, every single lesson that I you know listened to, I got one, two, three, maybe four little chunks of information, and it was like clogging a drain, you know, kind of so to speak. You know, it's like one hair isn't going to clog a drain, but you start throwing 30, 40, 50, 60, a thousand hairs down there and nothing's getting through anymore. And that, that's what it was like for me. I mean, it wasn't a single moment. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a Eureka epiphany. I've talked with people and they've had that Eureka moment with me and said, Oh, I never saw that before, but I just didn't end up coming to it like that. It was a slow progression that was pretty satisfying the entire time, which was, uh, looking back quite an amazing thing, which I probably didn't appreciate as much as I should have. <laughs> so. David, what is your position now with Alliance of Redeemed Israel? Well, uh, the Alliance of Redeemed Israel, uh, Messianic Israel Alliance, uh, was the brainchild of Angus and Bacha Wooten. They started in, I guess they started in New York and then Virginia and, and they started House of David and they wrote, you know, In Search of Israel, Who is Israel, and all of that thing, Key of David Publishing, and they've gone over a lot of changes or in their time, and they've always been looking for who is going to take the next step. And in 2013, 
they were at a bit of a, an impasse because they were of uh, Angus and, and Bacha were both getting up there in years and they did not have what they considered to be someone that they could hand it off to that could carry it to the next generation. And uh, so I just happened to be going to the ARI conference in 2013. Uh, met Ken Rank there, met Hanok Young there. I mean, met some wonderful people there. A uh, great experience. Of, However, I get there and I'm kind of an early bird type guy and I show up 20 minutes before registration starts. And this couple, wonderful couple from, I believe they're from Washington State, the Wises, they were try, trying to set up the registration and were having difficulty with the printer. And I just, you know, I'm just waiting patiently. And they're like, can, can we help you? I said, well, you know, I'm here for registration. And they're like, it'll just be a minute. It'll just, you know, just bear with us. I'm like, sure. You know, wait, wait a little bit. I can see they're struggling. And I'm like, do you need some, some help? I mean, I, I can probably help you with that. And they're like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a computer technician. That's what I do. I actually am in computer forensics and all, all sorts of troubleshooting. So I offered my services, the door flew open and within 10 minutes I had a, a volunteer sticker on and first I was registration. Then I was the whole service doing anything and everything. And then they were giving me free food <laughs> and then they were, that always helps. It does help. It really does. They wanted to introduce me to the Wootens, and uh, Angus and Bacha came down. It was uh, an interesting experience. First time I met them, uh, they said a prayer over me, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how they introduced themselves. And, uh, you know, really didn't get to talk all that much with them in Orlando. However, after that, they had computer problems, and they had concerns about technological things, and you know, licenses for Adobe Photoshop or whatever it was that they were dealing with. And I was only about two hours away. And so they called me often and I would make time and I'd come down and talk with Angus and Bacha. And, and uh, when Angus had his hearing aids in, that worked well. <laughs> it was, when he didn't, it was just Bacha. <laughs> but, uh, and over the next six months, we forged a really solid relationship. Bacha and Angus were just incredible mentors, and uh, they they asked very uh, questions that really made you dig into yourself. Questions that the the same questions they were asking themselves, they were asking of me, and it was it was a very interesting time. And basically, one day they called me up and told me, "It's like, hey, would you come down?" And I said, "Well, what do you need?" And they were like, "Could you, uh, just we want to buy you dinner." I said, okay, sure. Uh, all, my dad told me when I went off to college, never turn down a free meal. You know, so A very wise man, your father. He, he really is. And uh, so I go down there and uh, Angus, you know, uh, tells me, it's like, you know, it's like we, we, we need someone to carry this to the next generation. And Bacha asked me, it's like, is this something that you would want to do? And I've always struggled for something with, you know, lasting meaning, something that, that uh, you could look back and say that was a worthwhile endeavor. And uh, I had to think about it, pray about it, you know, and, uh, and really see whether this is what I was supposed to do or not. And I came down two more times before I, I really gave them my decision. But uh, 
I remember the first, the first time I came down and I was really struggling with it. I, I couldn't really grasp why they would want me to be that person. And I asked them directly. I, I asked Bacha. She looked at Angus. Angus gave her a big smile, nodded at me, and she pointed a finger right in my face and said, cause you don't want it kid. <laughs> it was, it was, it was an interesting experience. I accepted the position. It's been a difficult road because uh, ARI has, you know, had, had struggles with the divisions and the messianic movement. It's had struggles with all the rifts that seem to happen between people, which is sad. And uh, it's kind of, been on a back burner for a little while and hopefully soon we'll we'll reemerge which i think may be a little bit apropos just as you know jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale so too might endeavors that are worthwhile spend in areas where it seems like they're out of view and never going to see the light of day again and then once again they emerge <laughs> so so that was uh 2013 then that you came on board with ari it was, uh, well, 2013, I, I met them. It wasn't until, I believe, April of 2014 that I took over. Uh, yeah, it was April of 2014 that I took over ARI. And, and you did that. You have ARI, you have Messianic Israel Alliance, and you have Kiev David Publishing. And yes. David Altman is all those things. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but you also have a day job. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that's, uh, that's been a true blessing. I mean, uh, my father, uh, he's a bankruptcy trustee. I've seen some very, very unique things in my, uh, in my life. Uh, I've had to deal with the liquidation of F1, uh, F2 Le Mans series race cars, seen horse farms, you know, getting sold off. I've seen pretty much anything and everything. I've seen massive Ponzi schemes of world like literal literally nationwide dentistry fraud not with the dentists but with their people that were dealing with their money and it's just of uh, I, I you know investigate fraud i i do any type of troubleshooting anything from repurposing hard drives where they've been formatted and you recover the data or you know forensically going through things that have been tried to tried to be done away with to just regular troubleshooting, keeping a, a network going and, you know, making sure that the computers run well. The sad thing about being a computer technician is if a computer technician works too much, he's a bad computer technician. A computer technician has, seems like he's lazy. That means he's doing his job properly. <laughs> so <laughs> Sounds counterintuitive there, but... <laughs> well, the mark of any good parent is when they produce a child that no longer needs them. <laughs> That's the truth. There are no self-licking ice cream cones in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> but yeah, so I've uh, done a lot of work for my dad, and it's it's been interesting because over the past few years, past four or five years, bankruptcy has declined substantially because we were in a recession for so long. You have to have money to make money so that you can lose money. And so people stopped having business, new businesses, failing businesses, all the businesses that were going to make it were making it and all the businesses that weren't being created because of the recession kind of led to a, a downturn in the, the bankruptcy field. And so the number of cases my dad worked went down. The need for me kind of went down as 
the need for me went up and now he's in the stages of becoming semi-retired to who knows what direction he'll go. And so I've been able to spend more time with the ministry, which is kind of where I would like to be if I could be. (laughs) From Solomon Lopez and the Hebraism Music Project, here is How Could We? Available at Hebraism.org By the rivers of Babylon There we sat down And we wept As we remembered Sion All the promises made that were not kept, and our captors asked us for the words of a song. And they mocked us, saying, Sing to us a song of Sion. Sing to us a song of Sion. How could we sing your songs on foreign land? Oh, why didn't Remember the words to your songs 
Welcome to today's Midrash portion of the Reunion Roadmap. This is Barry Phillips, and with me today is David Jones, who has been away for the last couple weeks. Uh, We appreciate so much Ed Boring uh, and his uh, magnificent insights into worship over the last couple of weeks. Uh, But David, it is also great to have you back. I trust that you're feeling well and doing well. Yeah, shalom, Barry. Shalom, everybody. Yeah, it's uh, all I can really say is Yah is so good. It's uh, (laughs) he's done miracles in my life and done them recently. So uh, I definitely appreciate all the prayers. Great to have you back with us today. Uh, In the Midrash today, David, we have a uh, I received an email recently recently. Detailing a question that I think has been long debated, and I don't know that you and I can come up with a definitive answer today, but we'll work on it and see uh, where the Father may take this. And it concerns uh, the status of our Jewish brethren. Uh, One writes that they have a compassion and a desire for uh, the Jews to come to Messiah and... um, was concerned that some some of uh, the discussions that they're hearing might suggest then that the Jews already have um, a, a redemption, an eternal security, as their words, even though they reject the Messiah, and it's it's perplexing to them. So they're looking for some sort of scriptural understanding as to. What is, what is the right understanding here? Our Jewish brethren, do they need to pray the sinner's prayer the way you and I were taught to? Uh, do they have to come to Messiah in order to have uh, a redeemed experience, salvation experience, righteousness, status decreed? All of these religious terms that we'd like to throw at them. And so I don't, let me see if I can check this box off for you. You know, it's a dangerous road to go down, you know, sure really, Barry, because then that's why we have doctrines of uh, replacement theology and dual covenant theology. And um, what what we are, I, th- I think we may come to the conclusion today that you're saved by grace through faith, but it's always been that way. So you mentioned two uh, erroneous doctrines. Uh, I'm assuming you believe them are erroneous. <laughs> uh, replacement <laughs> theology and dual theology, uh, dual covenant theology. Very, very briefly, in a nutshell, what do those two suggest? I'm going to give the Extreme Reader's Digest version and oversimplify it. Uh, Replacement theology said the Jews messed up. They had their chance. The church is now the church. 
You know, the church is now the body and, and God's people. Uh, another, so we've replaced them in a position of covenant. Uh, dual covenant means, well, the Jews can't come to, come to God but through the Torah, but we come to him through Yeshua. But the problem with that is the Jewish people don't believe the Torah redeemed them. They believe that Yahweh redeemed them when they brought them out of Egypt, and therefore the, the Torah was a covenant document of how he desires for us to live because we belong to him. So it's a kind of a sticky wicket. <laughs> it is. It is. So there is a scripture that I found uh, in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, two verses here, chapter 6, verse 24, and verse 25. And it says, And Yahweh commanded us to do all these laws, to fear Yahweh our Elohim, for our good always, to keep us alive as it is today. And then verse 25 is what kind of left me scratching my head here. And it is righteousness for us when we guard to do all this command before Yahweh our Elohim as he commanded us. And it was one of those, uh, uh, what moments when I realized what is righteousness? righteousness. You know, that's it, Yah, uh, Abraham believed and it was decree. Uh, Yah accounted it to him for righteousness. So we've, you know, in our, in our Sunday school classes, as kids, we were, you know, given the idea that Avram or Abraham was one of those few people in the Old Testament that was actually born again, because it plainly says that he was counted as righteous. Okay, so if a man is righteous, therefore they are, they are, you know, they're born again, right? Well, it says here that when you obey the commands, it is righteousness for us. Well, we can't agree that just rule keeping and command keeping redeems us. But there is a but, difference between redeeming and righteous. Indeed. So I'm seeing this, David, is the action of one who is righteous is that they are obedient to the commands. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, in Luke chapter 6, I believe it is. I could be wrong on that. But it's uh, Yeshua says, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? And uh, in, okay. in John chapters 14 and 15, Yeshua says continually, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments, yes. And uh, so we, we have this wild idea that all we have to do is to love God and we're in, we're golden. But the fact is that that's an abstract way to come to him. What does it mean to love him? And he said, if we love him, we will do what he says. We will hear his voice. In other words, we will be obedient. Well, let's flip this around a little bit. So the mark of, of delineation, this, this, this fine line that one crosses from being a sinner to one who is, uh, we, you're saved. Well, that, that's another religious term that we might want to embark on, but you're no longer a sinner. The thing that changes that, the moment that that, takes, that change takes place is when we pray as we were taught, quote-unquote, the sinner's prayer, where we, we ask for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, we acknowledge that we're a sinner, and we, even though it's not found anywhere in Scripture, we are told, invite uh, Yeshua, or Jesus is more commonly offered in those settings, invite him into your heart. Nowhere in Scripture are we, we asked to invite him into our heart. 
So, you know, it, 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 I'm not saying that that prayer doesn't work. Many of us have prayed a similar prayer and our lives have been changed. Um, but if after that point, we're not walking in obedience to the word, what happened? Are we being re- uh, rebellious, walking in rebellion uh, in Yahweh while we're saying we belong to him? That's a, that's a false sense of security there. And I think that we need to understand the uh, identity crisis within him. If we say we are redeemed, that means we do not belong to us anymore. We belong to him. And, and there's covenants that he made throughout the entirety of Scripture that says we belong to him. He made a covenant with the people called Israel, you know, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, who was named Israel. And he made a, this is a covenant that is still in effect today. God does not destroy covenants. He makes covenant. And uh, Ephesians chapter two says you who used to be Gentiles. It doesn't say you are Gentiles. You used to be Gentiles. You used to belong in the nations, but now since we were, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, in the Messiah Yeshua, we have been brought near. And we say brought near to what? Well, brought near to God. Well, yeah, but that's not exactly what it says. It says we have been brought near to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel, to be a part of the covenant of promise that was already established. Interesting. Interesting. So let let me take it from this point. Was Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were they born again? Yeah, I I definitely believe so. If their descendants walked as they did, were they likewise of the same status? I would believe so. Um, You know, Scripture talks about uh, when when they're going down to to Sodom and and Gomorrah, um, Yahweh says, shall I hide from Avraham the thing I'm about to do, seeing that he will teach him and his household, his, his descendants and his household. Differences there, because there were many in his household who were not natural born descendants of him. That's a kind of a key thing there, isn't it? And and he says that, shall I hide from him? Because he will instruct his, his, his children and his household after him to do tzedakah and mishpat. To do righteousness and justice, and to keep the way of, of the Lord. Well, you know, Yeshua said it in Yochanan eight thirty nine. Uh, responded to those who claimed that they were uh, already in covenant and uh, you know a part of, of Yah's family because they were descendants of Abraham. Yeshua, they answered and said to him, "Abraham is our father." Yeshua said to them, "If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham." In other words, let me let me paraphrase that. Keep covenant and uphold covenant. And teach your descendants, your children, mishpat and zedekah, or righteousness and justice. You know, it makes me think of you can be a son and not have an inheritance. Ooh. You ever heard the phrase cut out of the will? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, let's, let's cut to the heart of the matter. Do, does Yehuda, our Jewish brothers, and when I say brothers because I we have a family affinity with them, do they need Yeshua the way we do? I believe we need the word. 
um, whether it's the word made flesh or the word that was established before, we need the word. And this is not a dual covenant thing because if we come to the, to the understanding that once we are, are in the Messiah, we are grafted in. And that's uh, according to Romans chapter 11 and Ephesians chapter 2 and even Galatians chapter 3 uh, all say that we are now part of a covenant that was already established and in effect. And if that's the case, then why would God cancel a covenant and say we're a part of that covenant that he canceled? Good question. Hmm. But I want to make it clear, we're not saying that just because you are Jewish in your lineage that you are automatically in, that you are you are a redeemed or born-again individual simply because of lineage. That's not the case. Well, yeah, because throughout the entirety of Scripture, we continually see keep covenant, uphold my covenant, do what I say. And it's not doing to obtain covenant. It's doing because you are in covenant. I think that's the key difference there, David, is that we have to be in covenant by choice. Uh, we're not born into this. We're not uh, tricked into this. Uh, we don't come into it by accident, but rather on purpose by decision. Uh, we embrace it. We accept it fully. And we walk in obedience. So salvation, redemption, being born again, uh, all of these terms, uh, they mean various aspects of, um, uh, uh, of this relationship that we have with Yahweh, our creator. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even when they were at Mount Sinai and Yahweh says, I have redeemed you. See, that was, that's past tense. I have redeemed you when I brought you out and I brought you to myself. And these are the words I desire for you to keep. What say you? And the people responded, all that Yahweh has said, we will do and we will be obedient. So even though after Yahweh said, I'm making a covenant with you, you've already seen, I'm already acting on it. Will you accept? So it's, we do still have a responsibility to accept the terms of the covenant. And those who said they accept it, but then walk contrary to his commands, perished in the wilderness. Correct. So it's not necessarily uh, uh, our necessary motivation to run out and try to convince uh, someone that we know that is Jewish to, to pray the sinner's prayer the way we were taught to pray. Well, I mean, has that worked for the past 2,000 years? I mean, um, and let's just face the facts. Have they been presented with a true Messiah? Or have, or, or have they been presented with a Messiah that says the Torah is done away with, have all the bacon you want, and, uh, you know, go live however you want, and, and all, all those Jewish things are all passed away and done away with? Because according to Deuteronomy 13, anyone who does that would be disqualified as being the Messiah, let alone they would be disqualified as being a prophet or a teacher or anything. Well, I would dare say that uh, this topic could use – a show or two or 10 more uh, <laughs> to, to try to deal with it all. And by no means uh, are you and I trying to speak definitively, absolutely as uh, declaring doctrine for B'nai Yosef or anyone else. Uh, we're trying to, to discern this and figure this out. So we welcome your comments, your questions, 
your understandings, please contact us at Reunion Roadmap at BenetJosephNA.com. Thanks, David, for your help today and for your time, brother. Yeah, shalom, brother. Thank you. From Melody Joy's album, The Beginning, here is The New Jerusalem, available at MelodyJoyOfficial.com.
Well, we just listened to the song by Melody Joy called The New Jerusalem. Al, doesn't it sound like those two songs, like the first one that we heard by Solomon Lopez and this one, are they sort of like bookends, do you think? That's a good way to put it, Stefania. Solomon's song, How Could We, is a beautiful rendition of Psalm 137. That song of the exiles of Judah when they are taken to Babylon, in fact, it it starts off by the waters of Babylon. We sat down and we wept. And how could we sing the Lord's songs or the songs of Zion? It is an interesting contrast to Melody Joy's song about the new Jerusalem. You know, on the one hand, we have this mourning, this, this terrible sense of loss of what we have lost, and it was all our fault. The city where Adonai himself put his name, which is his throne which is the seat of his kingdom. And we ourselves, we are the ones who sinned and because of our iniquity, we're removed from it. How can we have any joy now in this foreign land? And you look at that in contrast with what Melody Joy is singing about. Our home, ultimately, the new Jerusalem, which again is the city of the most high God, the city which is the seat of his throne, where he puts his name and in spite of all the things that we have all done over the ages, through his grace, through his redemption, we get to return to it. What a wonderful contrasting set of musical interpretations of Jerusalem, the holy city. Exactly. I I think so as well. Now, this midrash is actually quite a challenging midrash. We go go on to this uh, concept of even talking about, which is very controversial, dual covenant theology, and they do an 
excellent job of really, I think, beginning to tackle some very hard questions, don't you think? Absolutely. In fact, that dual covenant idea was the one thing that stuck with me, is how could God have a plan for the Jews and a plan for the Christians? Or, as you might put it, Israel and the church. No, there's only one plan, only one covenant. What we don't understand yet is how these two parts of the nation of Israel, the Jewish part and the non-Jewish part, Judah and Ephraim, as we understand now, how they fit together to bring about the fulfillment of the entire single covenant that God has called us into or redeemed us into. While David and Barry have done an excellent job opening the subject, I don't think we have heard the end of it yet. I do agree. And certainly it's going to be for some of our listeners an opportunity to say, do I need to do a paradigm shift here? Has my thinking been challenged on certain areas? Right. Well, Zephania, we have run out of time for this show. Join us again next week on another edition of Reunion Roadmap. Thank you for joining us on Reunion Roadmap, a production of B'nai Yosef, North America. Please come back next week for another visit with the people of the Emerging House of Joseph here in North America.